Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. Hello and welcome to Talking Tourism. I'm your host today, Luke Martin, and my day job is as CEO of the Tourism Industry Council of Tasmania, the peak industry body for tourism in the beautiful state of Tasmania. Talking Tourism is the podcast series for tourism operators and tourism professionals. Today's episode is part of a series of podcasts being released every fortnight throughout the COVID-19 crisis to keep Tasmanian tourism operators up to date with the latest news and developments with the crisis as it relates to our tourism industry, the support and assistance being made available by the state and federal governments and industry bodies, and also some conversations and insights into how key industry participants are thinking about the recovery that's to come. Today's episode is all about JobKeeper. Again, uh, this has been probably the number one issue that uh, I've had operators um, and have been the talk of the industry around access in terms of government support. And uh, this is uh, next in the series that we're doing, and I'm joined with uh, Rob Cameron, who is an advisor with Collins SBA. Morning, Rob. Hi, Luke. Thanks for joining me. Now, Andrew did this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you did the one before that. And it's fair to say it's been a, an evolving um, conversation around JobKeeper because uh, I think the first one we did, JobKeeper wasn't and it wasn't even on the on the horizon as a as a possible initiative. Yeah. Uh, two weeks ago, it was uh, fairly new and hadn't gone through Parliament uh, yet. So a lot of the questions Andrew and I were kind of putting on the table were um, were relatively um, general in, in, in discussion and we couldn't really answer a lot of them. And, and obviously now we're right in the thick of it. And what I thought we'd do is just literally work through some of those very specific questions and hopefully um, you can offer some pretty specific uh, answers. Sure, I'll do my best. <laughs> All right. Um, fair to say you've consulted uh, with literally dozens, I imagine, businesses now in our sector and the hospitality sector and retailers and JobKeeper always keeps coming up, I imagine. Yeah, it's a huge issue at the moment. It's one of the key pieces of government support that's been put out to help businesses navigate their way through the, uh, uh, I guess, the COVID-19 shutdown. Uh, so, yeah, a lot, lot of questions coming up on it. I think I'm up to personally uh, somewhere around about um, uh, over over 100 and 120 businesses that I've spoken to uh, in the last uh, month or so, one-on-one. So, lot, lots of discussions. 120 businesses. I don't know where the laugh will cry when I hear that. Um, uh, but... <laughs> Um, and clearly, JobKeeper, we know from a survey we did last week that over half the industry are seriously considering, or said they were seriously considering accessing it for either themselves, if they're sole freighters, or indeed for their staff. So we know uh, the industry is heavily engaged around the opportunity. So yes. these, these are some of the questions that I've had, and I'm sure you've had, and um, are circulating that we can, let's try and we run through them. Firstly... Yep. If I've already stood down my staff, am I expected to pick them up again and put them onto JobKeeper? So if I formally put them, stood them down or right yeah. at the start, do I have to now, am I expected or should I or do I have to pick them up again, re-engage them and put them on JobKeeper? 
Yeah. So a very quick preface to a lot of these questions is that I'm not an employee relations advisor. Uh, this is this is my interpretation uh, around what you can and can't do under JobKeeper. Um, and I must say I've consulted with a number of uh, employment relations experts around this and generally we're getting consistent advice on it now. Yep. But if you've got specific questions for your business, um, I suggest you go and go and get some specific advice on this. Yep. General, general terms, the answer to your question there, Luke, is no. You're not obligated to uh, re-engage your workforce if you've stood them down. So, um, and I've reaffirmed that point. Um, everything we're offering today is very general based on your best advice. And, and if you are needing specific follow-up, um, please contact us and we'll put you in touch with someone who can make that information available to you, including on IR issues or employment relations issues. But let's let's Thanks push like. through best as we can. I'll just give you that exactly. cover, Rob, uh, <laughs> and myself as well. Um, if I've ended the employment of my staff already, casuals are being made yeah. re- redundant, should I be considering re-engaging them onto JobKeeper? So we know a lot of a lot of operators in the first week who put their business into hibernation, um, just put out a blanket uh, shutdown or said to their casual staff, no work left. Then clearly, obviously, week two, two weeks later, JobKeeper was introduced and a lot of them are feeling ex- that they want to do the right thing by their staff. Um yeah. You know, from a, a business advice perspective, perhaps rather than employment relations advice, what do you think yep. a business should be weighing up if they're still unsure whether yep. to access it or not? Yeah, a couple of key things to consider here. Um, first of all, the job keeper scheme has a has a number of benefits that are, are potentially associated with it. So, uh, if you have stood down staff or you've um, you've you've made them redundant or finished them up, uh, it is definitely worth considering re-engaging them back into your business. Um, now, there are a couple of caveats that, that go with that. Um, the first one is obviously the eligibility criteria. So you've got to check that they were actually um, employed and eligible as at the 1st of March 2020. So obviously you've got to pass that first test. Um, the second thing is you you need to consider what staffing base and skill base you're going to need as your business uh, begins to come through to the other end of this crisis. Because don't forget that at some point this JobKeeper money is going to run out and you're going to have to form a, a view as to how your business is going to sustainably operate in the market once uh, once the life raft um, it, it comes off. So, um, so I wouldn't just be re-employing everyone just because the JobKeeper money is there. I would be thinking very carefully around what workforce your business needs. Now, the other thing to consider there is is how you're going to cash flow it, um, and that's something I know you, you're going to touch on a little bit later. So the other thing, sorry, Luke. I was just going to say that's a really critical point, and one we've we've just explored. We had a, a similar podcast, which I encourage people to listen in, into with Simon Current and Ian Rankin, and and the consensus very clearly is we will not be reopening into the same market we had up until yeah. March, and sadly, I wish. But the reality is we know export international markets are months, if not years, away um, from being yeah. recovering. And clearly the domestic market, um, again, unknown. So businesses thinking it's just going to be business as usual, including their current staff loadings or the structure of their staff, really need to be probably erring on the side of caution, I would have thought. I would agree with that. I think now is a time for caution 
uh, around not increasing your your expense base unnecessarily. I think one of the other key points that businesses need to consider at the moment is this uh, job keeper package is being rushed out very quickly. And there's a number of grey areas in there that I'd hate to see people get caught in. And one of the areas that we're, we're still trying to get our heads around is the concept of one in, all in. Yeah. So does that mean that um, when you re-engage your workforce uh, under JobKeeper, do you have to engage all the eligible employees? At the moment, the advice on that has been conflicting. So uh, in some areas coming out from the ATO, it's very silent on the issue of one in, all in. Um, however, there has been another another document that's come out which talks about the concept of one in, all in, meaning that you may have to engage all eligible employees, which could put a lot of pressure on cash flow. Yeah. Um, and also, I guess, the need to... Um, the need to manage these employees correctly as we as we come through the crisis, government support comes out, yeah. and you've got a workforce bigger than your business can support. Mm. So that that's a key issue so to what, consider. And, and they just haven't clarified it yet. It's just going to be one of those things again. Definitively have to raise, or they just haven't considered, or they're waiting for. Uh, is that something I need to take on as a lobby advocacy perspective? Is it? Is it? Why, why haven't they released I, I think that? that that would be helpful, Luke. If you can, uh, if you can push for some answers on that as well. Um, I, I know it's been raised to government through a number of channels at the moment, but uh, from where I sit today, I haven't been able to get a, a clear answer on it. So uh, others out there uh, may have a clearer answer on it, but I'm seeing conflicting advice. So I'm telling the business owners I'm working with to tread with caution. Uh, uh, on this. of caution. So, so in practical That's terms, right. if you're if you're a motel operator in regional Tasmania, you might want to keep the job keeper for your, your front of house staff, but you've got some casual uh, room attendants. Um, again, how much demand are you likely to have yeah. for those room attendants in September, October, if, if domestic markets? Um, you know, a, I think the takeout from this is don't make a rash decision. Just be, and also, I think potentially some operators are wanting to do the right thing by their staff. So. Um, sense of expectation, they take it on. So lesson for the employers is to, um, A, be informed about your obligations coming out of this, but also um, err on the side of caution, I gather. This goes, and and this goes to one of the other ones, is are the workers expected to work for their JobKeeper allowance? I mean, this is, and I think this is being interpreted in a bunch of different ways. Um, I might have a little bit of work for them, but not as much as I did. Should I drag them in to do a couple of hours work or do I just you know, reevaluate and then does yeah. some staff members have to work and others don't? You know, why should some get a you know, frankly paid for no nothing? That's right. And and that seems to be the way it's playing out at the moment. My my take on this and, and how I've been talking about it is it is a subsidy paid to businesses to support them employing their workforce. Yeah. Um so with that comes all the usual obligations around uh, expectations to work. Now, the reality is if um, if there is literally nothing to do, then it may be appropriate for people to stay at home and still uh, and still get a payment. Um, but obviously, if there is things to do, then um, the, the usual employment obligations still apply. And that would be a, uh, I gather, even if you are employing several staff on through the JobKeeper or the subsidy, so your your income being supported and you might have some work for some of them and not for others, that's an individual decision for your direction to your employee, you would hope. 
Absolutely, yeah. So there, there is an element of uh, of discretion here around how this is applied, um, because in some situations there may be work for you know a small number of employees, whereas an, another group of employees there's there's nothing to do. So it's going to be you know a, a little bit of um, use the word unfairness around how this uh, plays out. But I guess that's a business to business decision as to how they best manage that. So we need to clarify the all-in or all-out scenario. Um, I'll uh, definitely put homework for me as much as anyone. Um, and as I say, we might, we might not even have it. Um, so just on, let's move on to the cash flow issue you mentioned because that's a big one. Um, what is the, from your best of un- understanding, is when will this the subsidy support be hitting people's bank accounts once they apply? Because obviously mm. what people are concerned about is their obligation to pay their staff for the period leading up to when the money's in the bank and, and clearly how much overdrafts and cash reserves can sustain. Yeah, that's right. And the latest information I've got is that uh, JobKeeper payments to businesses are going to be paid around the 14th of May. So if you're looking to um, put all of your employees uh, onto the JobKeeper scheme as at um, I guess the 30th of March, when it first became eligible, you're effectively going to need to fund around three fortnights of pay before you see anything come back from the ATO. Wow. Okay. And, and and obviously what comes back from the ATO in the first payment will only be two fortnights and you've already paid out three. Wow. So this could be, it could be a significant um, payroll burden for some businesses that they're going to have to cash flow. Uh, I guess we're encouraging people to talk to their bank in the first instance if this is the right um, if this is the right pathway for them to get onto the JobKeeper scheme. Um, have that discussion with your bank. Um, in in the the instance of the first two fortnights, it can be paid any time in April. So you can leave it until you know the 30th of April if you if you want to to pay the first two fortnights. Um, but even then, you're still going to have a have a gap before you see any money come back from the ATO. All right. Okay. Um, okay. So there's yeah. And this is where it's a real it's a, challenge. It is a challenge, and and for small operators, that's perhaps where the state government, you know, the two and a half thousand dollars that's been made available by them can help to some degree. It's not going to stretch far. Um, and yeah. then obviously, most of the other larger grants and income support for businesses are on a similar time frame, aren't they? They're not going to roll out um, the federal yeah. government grants and state government grants. You're not going to have them by the end of April. So, Yeah, you- it's hard to imagine. And, and, and this is, again, why uh, I, I guess we're, we're looking at JobKeeper as being a, a, good, a good concept, but we still need to proceed with caution because you could d- potentially really get tripped up by the uh, the cash flow issues, not not to mention some of the other loopholes we talked about earlier. Okay, so on to that, the sole traders issue. So there's a I'm getting yep. a couple of questions. If you if I'm a couple and I have a B and B up the west coast or uh, a a tour operator and we both work, are we both eligible for it, or is it only one of us, or yeah. how does that work? How does it apply? Best of your knowledge. Yeah. Okay, so I'll touch on a couple of things here. The first one is if you are categorised as a sole trader, you are eligible. Um, I understand there's going to be a separate form available on uh, the MyGov website from today, apparently, according to some ATO sources. Um, so sole traders are eligible. The other, um, the other entity you may be trading through is a partnership whereby you've got uh, – 
two two working people or, or more in a business, you don't draw a wage. Yeah. In these instances, only one person only is one. eligible for the job keeper. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. That was um, yeah. So, so so if you're in a partnership, so this would be a lot of our couples, our mum and dad operators around yeah. the state. Uh, if you're in a partnership structure, then only one can access the wage. That's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's an important point. Sorry, you, I'd cut you off then. I just want to emphasize that. No, no, I no. think that's a good yeah, point. Okay. And I guess I'm, I'm probably jumping into your next question here, which is, you know, there, there are some other entities that people trade to through, such as trusts and companies. Yeah. Um, in, in the instance of a trust, if you're, um, if you just draw from the business, you don't actually pay yourself a wage. Similar situation applies in that only one beneficiary uh, is eligible for JobKeeper, right. assuming they're not employed by the business. Um, now, this is the same in a company. If you're, let's say, a working director and you're not technically classified as an employee of the company, um, there may be there may be a number of directors in this situation. In that case, only one director okay. is, is eligible for the job keeper. Yeah, and so, yeah, and I can understand then the design why they've put in those safeguards to the reality of having multiple. Directors, um, working directors, yeah, working minimum, yeah. yeah. So it can get a bit blurry. The the reality for people in that situation, as much as you know, say say the the people in a, a working directors, a husband and wife team, or a, or, a, or a partnership, the the secondary person would be eligible for obviously the uh, job seeker allowance for some immediate cash flow. So they, they they're not excluded from accessing that side of the income support system. It's just it's it's not the job keeper. Um, assistance. Yeah. So there is still avenues for them to be able to get some income support. Um, That's correct. Uh, you've asked my question about those who don't draw a regular income. Um, the casuals question, just clarify that. What's the best of our knowledge around what's the situation with casuals now? Because there was a lot of talk politically about amending mm. that. So you have, must be a casual employee. Okay. So, uh, yeah, you, you have to have been engaged by the business in a regular and systematic way for 12 months or longer. Um, I guess the, the challenge here is there's no specific guidance around regular and systematic work. Um, I guess really what we're looking for here is, is a clear pattern or roster of hours as providing evidence for that regular and systematic employment. Um, where this can get challenging is in a situation where you've potentially used some casuals in a seasonal capacity, yeah. um, but you're not using them through the winter and you haven't for, you know, maybe they've been engaged with the business for six years, um, but you, you don't use them during the winter period. It's challenging to see how you could um, define that as regular and systematic. So, so that, that can be a real hole for some in the tourism industry. It would be a huge hole for a lot of them um, and it would be a, it's a pretty unfair situation because a lot of those casuals might be doing 80-hour weeks over summer and then they drop down to, yeah. to nothing in the middle of July because the business closes. Right. So what do you have to submit to be able to demonstrate that, your casuals? Uh, there, there is a uh, an application form. Um, I actually haven't specifically looked at what the what the application process is around that so I don't have a clear answer for you um, you, yeah. I, I guess the rule, the guidelines are pretty clear though, minimum of 12 months. I guess the last thing we'd ever want any yeah. business to go down the path of doing is try and get around it to try and support your staff and then be hit by a back payment, you know, yeah. pay the money back in six months' time. It's the last thing anyone's going to want to do. So 
again, right. like a lot of these things, given that you know this has been a a pro an initiative in design in the middle of a crisis, there there are mm. clearly going to be holes in it. And, and it's, on the side it's, of it's another, yeah, it's exactly right. Another example as to why you proceed with caution with this. Um, you don't have to rush in day one and and uh, sign up for JobKeeper. It may be prudent for some businesses um, to hold off until things are a, a little clearer um, moving into May before they move on to the JobKeeper system. Um, and the employment of, of casuals is... Um, is just another example of that. I guess the other big question there is: do, Are you going to need these casuals at the yeah. at the end of the job keeper period? Yeah. And if not, you'd have to ask yourself why you're putting yourself um, under the cash flow pressure and the and the, all the other risks that go with engaging them through this period. Yeah, and also doing the right thing by a staff member. Um, I mean, I, a yeah. lot of these businesses I know are, are weighing up. They want to do the right thing. They, they, um, they've they got relationships. They're members of the family, especially in regional parts of the state, and they, they feel like they should, you know, this is the right thing to do, put them on. We want you part of business. But yeah, six months down the track, if you're looking at, you know, 30% occupancy rates this summer rather than 80, um, you're, you're not going to have that mm. work for that casual cleaner perhaps that you thought you might have and will make yeah. a difficult conversation worse. Yeah, very true. All right, one thing that is black and white, foreign workers and people on visas are not eligible for this, are they, yet? That's correct. No. Uh, it's, it's fairly clear on that. The, the, only, um, the only exception is the New Zealand visa holders. Yeah, okay. So um, if you are supporting visa holders, they uh, have to, I think they've got the opportunity to access their superannuation at the moment, but... Hopefully um, some common sense prevails on that one sooner than later. We've got, a, I think, hundreds of foreign workers around the state at the moment with uh, no income support yeah. and certainly no uh, capacity for them to leave the state or the country. So they're a bit stranded. Yeah, it's tough. It is tough. All right. Any others on JobKeeper? Any other burning questions you're getting that we should flag or issues? No, look, I think I've covered off on the big ones and, and really the uh, the one that's come up recently is this uh, one in all in question. Yeah. So we'll leave that with you, Luke. Uh, we might have that answer in two weeks time when we do this again. Great. Can I, I'll just ask you what I've got. You a lot of operators uh, not related to the JobKeeper program, but it certainly is Australian government related and the was with the tax system. And this is these federal government loans or grant, oh, not sorry, they're not loans, they're grants or tax credits, twenty to $100,000. What have you been yes. able to ascertain about what that is? Because that's a significant cash injection potentially, and I gather it's a tax credit. So if you're paying tax, it's a discount. If you don't pay tax, it's a credit. So what do you know yes, about that? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so it, it is a tax credit. Um, it will offset your BAS payable. Um, so there's a minimum of 10000 that is offset against BAS, Um and it increases up to 50000 per quarter for the next two quarters. Um, and, again, it is offset against your um, – that's specifically the PAYG component. Right. So if you have $50,000 PAYG payable per quarter, yep. you will receive the maximum tax credit. Yeah. Um, so and, that's worth noting. And companies are eligible for this, all, all, all businesses registered, um, sole traders, if they are in a position of paying that kind of tax or yes, yes every yeah. universal? Yeah, anyone uh, anyone who is paying PAYG. Okay, so best advice there is to make sure your accountant is doing everything possible to um, maximise your credit. And if they you don't have an accountant or you do it yourself, 
Um, what we can obviously discuss in a moment is support that we can offer for some operators, but the best advice is to make sure you're getting some professional assistance around what that looks like for your individual business and maximise your benefit out of that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Rob. Um, we'll do this again in two weeks. We might have more questions than answers, but we know, um, you know we're getting hun- literally hundreds of listeners to these podcasts across the state, so clearly it's um, a lot of people tuning in and following this advice. Um, again, reaffirm that it is general in nature. Um, don't hold Rob or me or anyone of us liable for <laughs> any individual business decisions and make sure you post and submit your information about your business um, truthfully and honestly and Make sure you don't get this, don't right. avoid any risks of um, of slipping up. Um, if you need assistance and you don't have your own accountant, financial advisor on standby, we're offering a service. It's free um, to speak to Rob or a member of his team, add to his list of businesses. You're not alone. And clearly, there are a lot of businesses seeking the support, so don't feel shy about asking. It's why we've made it available. Um, and if you want to speak to to Rob or a team member of his team at Collins SBA, email us at info at tict.com.au and we'll turn that around pretty quickly and put you in touch. Um, and just explain what you do there, Rob, just quickly about when if anyone does ring up and want to have a conversation about their own situation. Yeah, so if anyone would like to book in for a review session with us, um, we'll give you a copy of our business continuity planning guide and uh, and spend some time on the phone uh, talking through your specific situation and offering any advice we can on how to best position yourself to get through this. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, thanks, Rob. Thanks for making the time. Busy time Pleasure. for you. And uh, again, this is Talking Tourism. Um, if you are tuning in, make sure you catch some of the other episodes we're releasing today, including uh, an interview with Premier Peter Gutwin, which I know is uh, should be compulsory listening to everyone. Um, we will be back again in two weeks with some um, further updates and um, including hopefully um, a continuation of this conversation around JobKeeper and other federal and state government support. So um, thanks for listening and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Luke. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism.